And so what we decided actually is to take an, a different approach. And I think that's kind of like uh, the, the right way to kind of like build marketplaces was really kind of like to start somehow as a tool and then grow as a network and as a platform. Hey everyone, welcome to Brains Behind AI, show where we meet the innovators, entrepreneurs, and the real brains behind some of the most successful AI startups. We ask them about their journey from coming up with the idea to finding the product market fit. And from their experience, draw a set of principles that we can take away to ours. This is your host, Ari. Thank you for spending time with us. And now, let the show begin. Hello and welcome to another episode of Brains Behind AI. I am Ari Yakubi and I'm here with my co-host Natalie Thomas. Hey Ari, I'm really excited for today. We have a special guest. His name is Redwan Ramdani. Redwan is the CEO and co-founder of Snipfeed AI, an AI-powered mobile content discovery platform for the Generation Z population. Snipfeed offers creators one place to host and distribute all of their content into one place while assisting creators and companies in generating new streams of monetization. But more on that on the show. Born and raised in France, Red One is passionate about how technology can change storytelling and help journalism. He majored in mathematics at HEC Paris and holds a master's degree in business affairs from HEC Paris. Red One studied at the Haas School of Business at Berkeley University from 2017 to 2018. And here is where his company was born. Red One, welcome to the show. Hi, Natalie and Ari. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm very excited to be here and to tell you more about uh, what you're building at uh, Sneakfeed. Redmond, before we dive into the company, we want to learn a bit about you. We want to understand where did you get bit by the entrepreneurial bug? Did that happen in France? Were you always entrepreneurial as a kid or did that happen after you arrived in Silicon Valley? So take us back. Tell us about yourself. Yes. So I think it's definitely comes from my, uh, my childhood. I was always uh, fascinated by entrepreneurs from a very young age. And, uh, you know, my parents were also very entrepreneurial, even if they were both uh, teachers. They also had size businesses that they were trying to grow. And I think it really inspires, inspired me at a very young age to launch my first uh, ventures. When I was in middle school, actually, I started buying some clothes from Japan on the internet that you couldn't find in France and in Paris uh, in, in particular. So you had brands like Bape, etc. So I would buy that and kind of like do all the translation and sell those t-shirts, hoodies, etc. to my uh, middle school friends and high school friends also after. And so that's kind of like definitely the, um, where and when the bug really kind of like uh, hit me and when I really started to become, I would say, interested into entrepreneurship and when I knew that's uh, what I wanted to do in the future. Of course, I didn't really know what exactly I wanted to do, but what I was sure uh, was that the internet was, uh, especially, you know, it, it was in the 2008, 2007, and it used to be like at the very beginning of, uh, I would say, social media. And um, I had, I was, I was for sure, I was sure kind of like persuaded that it will totally change the way we live. And so since that day, I kind of like, I knew I wanted to be a, an entrepreneur. That's great. Right now, going into Berkeley and, and Sniffy, how did that happen? Where did that idea come from? 
kind of like maybe going back a few years uh, before Berkeley when I was at HEC. So HEC, you know, when you're in France, basically, and you want to be an entrepreneur, that's the school you think about because that's where most of the entrepreneurs come from, like the top entrepreneurs in Europe and France in general. And so when I was in, in HEC with a couple of friends, uh, we decided to build a website that was very similar to, you know, an, I would say an intellectual version of Barstool Sports. And so we founded this first uh, website and uh, very early on, it got a lot of traction, but unfortunately we didn't know how we could monetize uh, this website. So it was called Objective, and you had a lot of people from colleges all around France who would participate in that. And so I had kind of like this feeling that there was something super interesting to build in the media world, but that was like one problem, which was around monetization and how we could really connect with uh, our uh, audience. So I had kind of like this intuition very early on uh, when I was in college. And then I had the opportunity to go to Berkeley for a double degree uh, with HEC Paris and the Haas Business School. And so that's where actually I met my two co-founders who were in grad school also, but they were studying for their engineering degrees. And so we first started to work on a school project that wasn't, uh, you know, really related to what we're doing today uh, at Snipfeed. We used to build, uh, you know, chatbots that will actually help students, uh, K-12 students after school. So it will use, of course, like some AI because uh, Pierre Apte, who is my co-founder, was doing his, actually his uh, uh, master's degree in uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. And so it will kind of like give you advice after school and recommend to recommend exercises to you. So we really thought that we could build a business kind of like from this uh, chatbot. And so that's where uh, and when we actually started working together with my co-founders. And so we started to try to sell the software to schools. But frankly, it uh, was extremely hard. And the, most of the schools actually didn't really have the budget for such a product. And that was, I would say, kind of our first entrepreneurial failure uh, with my two co-founders. What we learned from that was that, you know, you can't force something into the market. Like you really need to listen to your users and listen to the market and build something that people really need and really want. And so we actually applied to Y Combinator with uh, this idea. And so we went to uh, the interviews uh, with, uh, I don't remember who were, I think uh, we were interviewed by the former head of growth from Airbnb. And so during the conversation, we just told them how we recommended exercises, et cetera, to K-12 students. And so they just told us like something that really sticks with us, which was, oh, why don't you recommend also content to those Gen Z users, like especially content uh, around news, around information that will be validated kind of from your part. And that's really where we decided after this failure, because we didn't get in Hawaii Combinator right after this interview. We were just kind of like thinking how we could actually find an idea that will really kind of like answer this, this problem, which was a problem both in terms of distribution of content and then monetization of content because I had the insight from my first entrepreneurial experience when I was in college in HEC Paris. So that's really where the journey started for us at Sneakpeed. Wow. I love that evolution, how you just like learned from one experience to another and it brought you to where you are today. So I have two questions for you, actually. First, can you walk us through what Snippy does about the organization or about your, your company? And also, how did you come up with the name Snipfeed as well? How does that tie into what you do? So kind of like to answer your first question is going to, I guess, answer also the second question. 
at Sniffit, our mission is really to help the creative class to uh, build businesses um, and be able to address their audience in a, in a new way. So right now, what's extremely interesting is that we're almost, you know, in renaissance in terms of content because you have individuals who have more power than mainstream media. Typically, you have podcasters like Joe Rogan who are talking to massive audiences. Same thing on YouTube, even with newsletters. So those people are kind of like quietly replacing the mainstream media. However, most of them have two problems. The first one is that they don't own their audiences. Like their audiences is kind of like everywhere. You know, it can be on YouTube as well as Instagram, on TikTok, etc. And they also have a big problem in terms of how can they monetize their audiences right now? Because the real struggle, if you're a creator of, if you want to build a media business, is that if you don't want to, you know, become a clickbait kind of like website, or you just even don't want to give fake news, you need to actually make sure that your business model is right. And I think the advertising model actually is the reason why we have so many fake news, etc. right now uh, on Facebook, etc. So those creators, they use Snipfeed to have one place where they're going to host all of their content. So they don't need to build an app. They don't need to build a website. We automatically uh, actually scrap your content and make it live on your uh, Snippet page. And more importantly, on top of your page, you're going to be able to monetize uh, your content and really bring a new experience for your fans. So really right now, you can think about social media as a 2D experience. You know, let's take a chef, for, for example. If you like a chef on Instagram or on YouTube, you're going to be able to like his uh, videos uh, or her videos, comment her videos. But what if, for instance, the chef was actually in your kitchen? What if you could book her for a Zoom cooking class? Or what if she actually had a master class that she just did with 10 different recipes and she could sell that direct to consumer? Well, that's where Snipfeed actually intervenes. And we give you all the infrastructure to build this business. And I think. The big difference, you know, with a Shopify or a platform li- like that, which is, uh, of course, way more for e-commerce, is that on Snipfeed, every page is connected to uh, the other pages. And so that's where the AI is actually implemented. So we actually, you can imagine uh, right now, if, you know, every website in the world was connected to another website. So when you're reading an article, what if you had a suggestion from another a website that was related to that or a podcast that was related to that? And so we have... All of these pages on Snipfeed are communicating almost as a living organism. And so uh, the AI here help you as a creator also to grow your audience in the sense that if you have, for instance, you know, a podcast about AI and you're listening, uh, you know, to Lex Friedman, who has one of the biggest uh, YouTube channel uh, about AI, well, you uh, and the podcast could be connected to the, to his videos and then grow your audience that way. So that's really kind of like where the AI is uh, uh, is implemented in Snippet. It's really kind of like this recommendation algorithm behind the behind the product. So second question for the name Snippet. So basically, mm-hmm. Snippet comes from snippet. So it's kind of like we give to uh, the users kind of like some snippet for free of the content the creators are uh, selling out there. And if you really want to dive deep into the creators' content, then the, you're gonna have all of those premium content and interaction that you have on Snipfeed. And so that's kind of like really where the name comes from. And we decided to have the pineapple 
as a logo, mostly because right now most websites, uh, you know, when you go on the website, for instance, they try to make you eat the pineapple entirely. Like if you have a paywall immediately, you don't really know what you get. And so here the idea with Snippet is that we also kind of, you know, cut the pineapple for you and make it more digestible for the audiences. So that's really where the name and the logo comes from. Hmm, now the pineapple logo makes sense. Let's double click on a couple of items here, starting with the guy who's creating the content. People like us, when they use Snipfeed, are they taking components of Snipfeed and putting it on their channels? Or is it the other way around where everything is managed, maintained and hosted within Snipfeed? It's mostly managed within Snipfeed. So the way we're built is that actually we are going to give to creator like you, Ari, for instance, a single link. So that could be snipfeed.ari.co. And so you're going to have this link, which is going to, you know, you're going to publish that either in your bio on Instagram or on TikTok or even at the beginning of the podcast. And so when people click on this link, they're going to immediately land on a couple of like options, a little bit like, uh, I know if you're familiar with Linktree, but it's a little bit like that, but we give that for, uh, for free to our customers. So for instance, you're going to have all this call to action when I'm clicking on your link. So for instance, book a one-to-one call with uh, Ari and Natalie or our latest podcast episode. And so from there, then you're going to land on each of these features on your snippet page. So the idea here is that we really are kind of like not a layer on top of an existing website like WordPress or something, but truly something a little bit separated for the creator where they're going to be able to uh, manage all of their premium content under one roof. And so that's really kind of like where uh, we intervene with the, with the creators. Got it. So say as a creator, if I have a premium piece of content that I want to charge the users for, then I can put that on Snipfeed and, and have it linked to my YouTube or Facebook, have them come to Snipfeed and that's where they pay and consume and you enable that transaction. Exactly. We enable the transaction and we also kind of like create a network effect, which is, of course, the value of any platform, which is when you have a couple of like creators in one space, then it gets more and more valuable for each new creator in the space because of the recommendation also algorithm behind the product. That's really a value added for uh, the creators. Yep. And then that's exactly where I was going next. Actually, what you're trying to build here is it seems like a two-sided marketplace, right? There is the demand side and then there is the supply side. And I know from personal experience that it's not the easiest thing to do, but once done right, it can be of a lot of value and, and you have this network effect and you can you, you have a pretty defensible position in the industry because you have the supply and the demand. So what I want to understand is how are you sort of managing that balance? And it's always a fine balance, right? When you focus on one, the other doesn't get the attention. Then you turn around and you focus on demand or and then and the, the other one starts falling, right? So there's this always this delicate balance that happens between supply and demand. How are you tackling it? What is your experience working on both sides of the coin here? Totally. And um, I think that's what's interesting is that I think, and to be totally frank with you, we first did a mistake a couple of months ago when we kind of launched mobile version of like Snipfeed, which was kind of like, you can imagine if we Im- you immediately had the, the marketplace and we didn't try to focus like too much on like either the demand or the supply. We tried to kind of like do both at the same time. And I think that was kind of like a mistake for, uh, for us at the beginning because it's extremely hard to both have a perfect product for 
you know, the, the, the users who are going to kind of like spend time on sleep feed, even if they don't pay for content, as well as for the creators who have the, the right insight to kind of like really create content, especially premium content for sneak feed. So we kind of like really change our approach to, well, we're going to launch immediately the mobile app of Sneakfeed where you're going to be able to discover all of this content and the creator is going to create some new content. It's going to be awesome. Actually making that grow right now without having a lot of like capital uh, when you're competing against, you know, ByDance or other platform is extremely hard. And so what we decided actually is to take an, a different approach. And I think that's kind of like the right way to kind of like build marketplaces was really kind of like to start somehow as a tool and then grow as a network and as a platform. So the tool that uh, we actually decided to go after the creators first rather than the users. And so we go after the creators and, you know, we're telling them, hey, guys, like here are all of those tools that you can use to monetize immediately from social media. You don't have to build a website. You don't have to do anything. You can just use Snippet as a tool. And then the goal is, of course, to bring users to Snippet from social media, you know, not grow as a kind of like independent platform first, really growing from this traffic that's, and distribution that comes from all of like those social media platforms. And so once we have this kind of like natural funnel from um, social media, then the phase two for us is going to really consolidate the platform and kind of like turn the tools into more of like a platform where you can discover all of the content that can be interesting for you, all of those creators can be interesting for you. So this is really kind of like we try to tackle that by going first uh, after the creators because they naturally bring the users to the platform. That's very smart, right? Because once you have the creators on, they're going to bring their users and their uh, followers with them. And then they start seeing other creators and, and you use artificial intelligence to connect and match and make a recommendation exactly. and all of a sudden the dots connect. Exactly. That's, that's a great approach. I like that. Are you following or focusing on a one specific niche or a couple of niches or an industry? What is your go-to market here? Because there, there are all sorts and all kinds of creators, right? As you touched on at the start, there's Joe Rogan, which are the, the media companies within themselves. And then, then there is small mom and pop shops. And, and they're within, even within that, right? There's so many different niches that are there. So what has your go-to market been? For sure. So typically, as you were saying, like you have different approach, like you can have a very vertical approach. So I'm if you familiar, for instance, with the platforms like OnlyFans. No. Okay. I'm not so familiar with it. OnlyFans, which kind of like is interesting is of course, very different to what we're, uh, what we're doing, but they were launched, I think, three years ago in the UK, and they were focusing on a very specific vertical, which was the adult kind of like industry. And so by actually uh, using their platforms, it's mostly through membership. You have creators who uh, made six figures revenues, you know, they didn't need to go uh, to go to pass by the studios or any middleman. And so they made in, I think, two and a half year about $700 million in revenues. So that's very interesting as an approach by going very vertical in a niche like they did. But our approach is really kind of like being a little bit more horizontal. So the the creators that we're going after are rather what we call kind of like value-added creators. So those are creators that are usually in some very specific like spaces that you can imagine bring values to the users. You're going to have wellness. You're going to have things like astrology. You're going to have things 
like fitness also. And finally, which is a kind of like different niche, but where we have a lot of like traction is the comedians. Uh, so for instance, uh, a lot of comedians actually are demonetized from platforms like YouTube and they're looking for ways to get revenues immediately from their fans. And so they are really a good target for us. And most of them, what they have in common, all of those creators usually is that they're multi-format. So they're going to have their podcast. They're also going to have videos and they may have, you know, PDFs that they want to sell. And so I think right now the creators that we're going after are really those creators who are creating a multitude of like different formats of content and are trying to to monetize them. And usually their following are, you know, uh, between 100,000 followers to 500,000 followers. So this is really the people that we're going after. So they're not too big because when they're too big, as we were t- like uh, talking about Jargon, for instance, they're already media themselves. They have the means to kind of like really bolt something huge by themselves. And then you have people who are still a little bit too small and they first need to grow their audience before they can monetize on Snipfeed. However, there is something to keep in mind is that we even have people who are pretty small, but still have such a loyal following that they can monetize. So for instance, you're going to have people who are very, very, you know, specialized in something like personal finance or, or, or something like that. And they may have 60,000 followers, but out of the 60,000 followers, you know, you don't, you only need 1,000 people, for instance, paying you $10 a month for videos or like, live streams, whatever you want to sell. And you actually are making 50K a month, which is pretty interesting for you. You know, most media, they, uh, if you work for uh, the Wall Street Journal, if you're a senior uh, journalist, you're going to you're gonna earn that, but not if you're just, you know, a junior uh, journalist right now at Bloomberg's or any of these organizations. So going, you know, really independent is something where you can get a lot of value. And so we really, really also are focusing when we look at the creators we work with, are what is really their capability to monetize. And, and it's, really, uh, it's really kind of like what we're focusing on rather than a specific like thematic that we want to go after. So do you think that, so these creators, they're building, maybe they're micro-influencers, macro-influencers, influ- they jump over to Snippy to grow their platform even more and to really monetize off of their social media that they're, that they're doing. So is that the transition that a lot of these creators make, do you see? Yes, exactly. So you have a lot of those creators. What's very interesting is that they want to outgrow also advertising. So when you go in China, you know, for instance, advertising is a very small part of the revenues that creators make. And when you're here in the US or even like in Western countries in general, Europe is actually the same. You're going to have creators who are 99% making money out of advertising. So you have those creators who actually are looking to find new streams of revenues and really make this transition from, you know, being at base on one platform to being way more kind of like independent. And something also which is interesting is that you're seeing also a transition right now from even, you know, uh, I would say young people who, when they're uh, facing their career choices, they're like, should I go and, you know, work for this mainstream organization? For instance, like, should I try to 
host a show on uh, uh, or on CBS or on TV, on cable TV, or should I maybe just build my my channel uh, on YouTube and then kind of like try to 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 make a business out of that? And you know, uh, right now when you ask Gen Zs what's the number one job they want to do. They want to be YouTubers and even before being an astronaut. So that's, that's, that's really interesting in terms of like a uh, uh, generational change. And so the problem right now is that when you ask them, how are you going to make money? They have no idea how they're going to make money out of YouTube uh, apart from advertising and merch. And so we really here are trying to make this transition into a professionalization of, you know, the you kind of like the creator uh, industry. And you mentioned comedians and you mentioned one-on-one coachings. Is there a particular product that's of more interest or that's more popular among creators than the other products you have? Yeah, so I think the the number one, I would say, product that creators use the most are usually on-demand episodes and bundles. So you're going to have people who, for instance, you know, if you're a comedian right now, you may have a library of content, of shows, etc., that you want to distribute direct to consumer. And so it's pretty easy for them to upload that on Snip Feed and to sell that direct to consumer. Pretty much the same thing for, for podcasters and for kind of like comedians in, in general. But what's kind of like interesting here also is that what you're going to monetize the most is really, really correlated to your audience. So the bigger the audience, the more you're going to monetize with content. And the smaller the audience, the more you're going to personal, the more you're going to actually monetize with your yourself as an individual, you know, like through one-to-one coaching, through workshop that you may have, you know, on hosted on live stream, through like personalized Q and A's. So those kind of like features really work very well when you're kind of like have a smaller audience and when you have a very very specific expertise. The the bigger you are, the more you actually kind of like are acting like a normal media and you make money through premium content and those kind of things like uh, in bundles, etc. That's great, right? One thing I noticed on your site was you're offering hosting and distribution for free. And as the content grows, that can get pretty expensive. So how are you making money and how are you managing that piece of the cost? We actually host kind of like the content on your page, but then most of the content, for instance, if you're a YouTuber, if you're a podcaster, you know, we're going to play your content on Snippet, but it's actually played on YouTube or it's played on like the podcast. When it's in terms of like free content, right? All your free content is going to be actually played on the platform it comes from. So if it's TikTok, it's going to be on TikTok, etc. So that's actually lower like the cost a lot on the platform. But then what's interesting also in this aspect is that for each create and every creator, what we do is that we really optimize their pages for SEO. So we kind of like make them grow also kind of like that way. And then that's a great way for them, like as creators, to make sure that when, for instance, they have a content talking about like a specific topic, they're going to come up in the first pages on Snippet. But of course, it costs money. And then the way we actually monetize is by taking 20% on the transaction. So when you're actually paying for a bundle, for instance, let's say you're selling a, a, a masterclass like about like, you know, the art of pasta or the art of sushi, if you're a chef, you're selling that on Snippet. Well, we're going to take $20 out of like every bundle you're selling. And of course, you can imagine that a part of that is also coming back to, you know, the banks and uh, the transaction fees that we need to pay. But then we, that's kind of like the way we are actually monetizing and uh, making profits, like through those transaction fees that we're, that we're taking. Just for a second, I'm going to double click on artificial intelligence. 
So can you speak to and go a little deeper into how you're applying artificial intelligence and what you do? Yeah, sure. So the way we work with uh, with AI, we kind of like really do two things. The first thing is really kind of like the categorization, I would say, of content. And so also the multi-format approach of this categorization. So when, for instance, you have a video or a podcast, whatever is uploaded on SnipFeed, we really need to first kind of like analyze this content and categorize it like super precisely. So we, we have actually more than uh, 30,000 different tags that kind of like help us to recommend content to, to the users. And so then when we are categorizing this content, we need to use AI to actually recommend that and making that match to the right uh, users and to the right content. And so here, AI actually applies in two ways. The first way is to say, okay, for instance, if you're right now, you know, the recommendation on most websites only work with one kind of like format. So if you're watching videos on YouTube, YouTube is going to propose you, of course, like other videos, more or less about the same topic. So here, what we do at Snipfeed is really also going cross format and trying. So we do a lot of actually speech to text technology to say, okay, this podcast, for instance, is talking about those main topics. And so based on those main topics and what they're talking about in the podcast, we, qu- we can recommend this podcast after uh, maybe this video or this article. And so really kind of like bringing, kind of like destroying the, the walls that exist right now in terms of formats in AI recommendation. So that's really kind of like, I think, one of the big value that we bring to the users is having this ability to kind of like jump from one format to another on the platform. And it's also, of course, help you to grow as a, as a creator. And so the other thing is kind of like in what I was telling you before in the categorization of content. So here, uh, the AI is way more about like same thing. We analyze the text, we analyze the video to make sure that we actually are uh, recommending that into the right people and the right categories. And we also develop, it was a little bit kind of like earlier about a year and a half ago, uh, some technology that's uh, made it possible for us to kind of like flag content based on like how, you know, we think it might be fake news or we think it might be like uh, hateful content. So that's also a very important part of the content that we have is really kind of like, you know, having the AI that give us an indicator of like how, you know, content might actually be either fake or hateful. And so this part is pretty hard, but that's that's also a part where AI is... Uh, is really important for us uh, in the categorization and recommendation of content. So Red One, it really seems like you're utilizing artificial intelligence. You're working with creators, dealing with your content management platform. There's so many moving pieces to the company. I would love to ask, what challenges are you experiencing and what challenges have you experienced really getting to the market? Typically, I think the first, the first thing was really kind of like, what the product look like. And the thing is, you know, when you have, as you were saying, like so many moving parts in kind of like uh, one company, it can be hard for a customer to kind of like understand exactly what's kind of like your value part. And so for us, like the really kind of like number one thing, which is the most visible, I would say, is really kind of like the, the monetization aspect of, uh, of things. And so it's, it's really kind of like we went through a process of really kind of like thinking a lot about how do we articulate this value prop to the creators and make sure that they understand how you know the, the platform works? And I think the educational part of that in really explaining to the creators how, how the, the platform works was really 
a lot of work. And so we really went through a lot of like interviews with creators, asking them how they get actually the right value prop. And then there is also a second aspect. And I guess that's an aspect that you're also talking uh, with in terms of like challenge that you have as a company is also, you know, in terms of like finances, like how we make sure that we have enough creators on the platform to actually be sustainable. And I think that's really our number one challenge is really, you know, having enough people selling content on the platform, as well as, you know, of course, like it's also correlated to how much money you have in the bank and so how much money you're actually raising. And so that's kind of like also, I think, I guess like one of the hardest experiences as an entrepreneur is really, you know, you have to hold so many different positions. Like in the morning, you may, you may be, you know, like financier and trying to pitch to investors. And then in the afternoon, you may be, you know, like your sales and you're kind of like talking to uh, five different creators. And I think this kind of like ability to jump from one position to another is very hard. And, you know, you need to have to, to learn that the hard way. Uh, actually, you know, at the beginning, I think I was very bad at pitching uh, those creators. I was like, you know, really trying to focus way too much on the product while actually, you know, it's really about building a relationship with them. And I think it's really building a relationship actually with everybody, which is the most important, uh, either with uh, investors, with your customers. And yeah, so I think that's kind of like, uh, you know, for us, like the biggest challenge was like sometimes, you know, we didn't have like a lot of money in the bank and, you know, we, we basically in like three months down the line, we could die. And so we needed really, really to focus super hard in, okay, like we have, you know, three uh, months of runaway, we need to bring this amount of revenues because otherwise we die. And I think that's, you know, those kind of challenges and those kind of equations really force you to focus and kind of apply yourself in the, like what's really going to save the company and making grow ultimately, which was for us really bringing new creators on the platform and making sure that they can grow, they can, uh, you know, be successful in terms of like, how much money they can make on the platform, and the, and it's really a win-win game. The more money they make, the more money we make, and so and so. Yeah, I think that's really being focused is really hard. And right now, I was talking to you, you know, for instance, about like all this stuff about like how we uh, recommend content, etc. But right now, our priority really is about like how we can help you know the creators to to monetize, and that's the number one focus for us. Yeah, and you're preaching some something so valuable. Right. I think what the advice you just gave here is a million dollar advice. And it's something all entrepreneurs go through, small or large. I've seen an interview where Elon Musk talks about hitting a point where he could either save Tesla or save SpaceX. And he had to make that tough decision. And then he decided to take my, all of the money that he had because he didn't want to see any of his companies, any of his babies die. So those are some of the tough, tough decisions you make as an entrepreneur. But what you just said here resonates with me a lot, where you said one thing you have learned is focus on building the relationship, whether it's with your client or whether it's with the VC. Once you focus on building a relationship and building a long-term relationship, everything comes together. And again, yeah, sometimes you do run into hard times and, and because you, you have three months of runway left and you have to figure out how to survive and get creative. But that's that's part of the process here, right? And part of the excitement. In terms of your VC experience, what advice would you have for someone who is out raising money or who is thinking about raising money for their startup? What what can they learn from your experience? 
so basically there was a story I really like, which is the founder of uh, Zenefits who went out and tried to raise money and it was really hard for him. And at some point he went and pitched, I think it was uh, Sequoia. And so one of the partners told him that, you know, he, he went there and he was trying to build FOMO and kind of like uh, work on the story. And the guy was telling him, hey guys, like really just show me the slides and, and show me how you kind of like are really addressing the problem. Because if you're just selling me on the product and the, and you know and the traction, you're not the Twitter guys. Like you, you need to really bring something new to the table. And so the guy didn't actually say, okay, I'm going to change my pitch and come back with a new pitch. He just said, how can I be the Twitter guy? And I think that's one of the big like advice I, I, I would give to people is like, be so good you can be you can't be uh, ignored. You know, really kind of like try to bring something which is going to resonate with. Uh, uh, the VCs, because someone is going to talk about uh, what you're doing and they're going to see value in in what you're doing. And I think also something, so because sometimes, you know, you, re- you, you read a lot of stuff about how people are raising, you know, crazy rounds in a super short amount of time. So this is really the exception. Like people need to understand that those stories that you see, you know, sometimes on TechCrunch, et cetera, they're representing, you know, maybe 1% because th- the people were really well known in the Valley. They know like the investors very well, et cetera. Like most people, I would say kind of like, if you build a great company, then the investors are going to come. And I, I would also say that, and, and this is just an advice I, and I also had based on the, the experience some of my friends had. Like even if you raise a lot of money, you know, when you're not sure about the fact that you're building a great company, you're actually going to be a position that you don't want to be in. Like you're going to have low pressure, you don't have product market fit, you know? And so, and so I think that's going to, actually increase the number of mistakes you're going to make. And so I would really kind of like give this, this advice is like try to do as much as you can with as little money as possible. Try to find those little signs of product market fit before you go out and try to raise. And I will also say that, and it's maybe a little counterintuitive based on what I was just saying, but at the same time, try to build a relationship with VCs that are not kind of, you know, uh, money related kind of kind of like try to meet them, ask them for, and well, right now meeting them is going to be hard, but try to kind of like ask them for uh, for advice, like share articles with them, follow them on Twitter, like answer to their Twitter comments, etc. So really kind of like try to build this relationship. So the day when they need to invest, you know, maybe 5 million in your company, they're like, oh yeah, I've known this guy for like two, three years. I'm okay to invest in him. I know he or she is a hustler. And I want to, you know, uh, invest in this person. So I really, same thing, go back to the first advice, which is build a relationship first and don't be shy uh, when you're reaching out to people. Don't be shy, you know, to ask for intro from your angels, et cetera. That will definitely be some of the advice I, I would give in terms of like fundraising. I don't think there is a secret sauce here. Thank you. I think that's really valuable advice for all of our listeners tuning in. So thank you for sharing. And now before we wrap up, I kind of want to turn the tables a little bit And based on your experience working with creators and based on everything you've learned throughout this process, what advice do you have for creators? Or if you were a creator yourself, well, you are a creator, but say you were a creator looking to build an audience and really monetize, what exactly would you do? And what advice do you have? So for the first kind of like phase, I would say try everything, like to grow your audience, uh, you know, try to, if for instance, I just want to take your example. If you have a podcast, for instance, 
you, and I think that's something super interesting that you guys are doing. You can have clips living, you know, maybe on LinkedIn. Same thing, you know, how can you leverage TikTok maybe? Because you have so many people who are on TikTok right now who are young, Gen Zs, they're, you know, interested by AI, entrepreneurship. So really trying to be in every platform is kind of like an advice that we'll give kind of, you know, even if you're very strong in one format, try to decline these formats in different, you know, ways based on the platform, uh, platforms you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna be in. I think also, you know, there is a formula that's, that's like, it's kind of like when you try to build trust with your, uh, fan base, I think it's Reid Hoffman who says that, which is trust equals consistency plus time. And I really think that's the key to success for creators is that if you, even at the beginning, like if you have five people watching your videos or liking your pictures, if you keep posting like every day or, you know, every other day and you consistent into what you're doing, like you're really after the specific niche, which can be AI, which can be uh, uh, whatever uh, uh, you're passionate about, just don't, you know, don't give up. And, and with time, actually, people are going to see you as an expert. People are going to want to follow you. They're going to want to ask you questions. So that's really, I think, the key here is consistency and time. And it's pretty much actually the same advice that you will give to an entrepreneur, right? Kind of like if you like, you need to be consistent and it's going to actually take some time. And the other advice I will give to actually grow is try to build a community of creators around you. Like, Try to do collabs. Try to, you know, grow that way. Because if you're seeing, I'm going to take an example of creators we're working with, love comedians, the way they work in in their podcast, they're they're always, you know, inviting each other. Like when you host your guest the next day to one of your uh, friend podcasts. And I think that's way it actually creates a virtual circle where everybody's growing their audience because they're bringing their audience to a new creator, etc. And I think, Joe Oregon, for instance, was an amazing uh, incubator for a lot of creators who actually, uh, you know, comedians who went to his podcast, had a very small following and, you know, from kind of like overnight just grew massively and really kind of like build your crew, try to collaborate with them is really kind of like what I would give as advice to grow and then to monetize, I would say also in terms of like monetization, same thing, like try everything, try kind of like iterate before you find, because you're not going to find, you know, product market fit immediately. And that's why Snipfeed is, is so flexible as a platform is because we think there is no one size fits all solution. Because right now, if you go on, you know, Patreon, or if you go on a platform like uh, Substack, for instance, it's immediately a subscription. And for some people, this is just not going to work. And so that's why for us, we give as an advice to creator, try different things, like maybe try a bundle, try a masterclass, try those, you know, live stream workshop. And then you're going to see there's necessarily something that's going to resonate with your audience. And that's where you're going to be able to really, really monetize massively your, your audience. So that's definitely kind of like a couple of advice I'd give to you uh, as a creator. Redwin, that is great advice. And as I was listening to your advice, I was realizing how much of an advice that you're giving for creators applies to entrepreneurs too. Yes, exactly. and, and you mentioned it in your comment too. <laughs> So before we wrap up, right, for all our creator listeners, if they want to find or learn more about Snipfeed, where can they find your company? And if they want to contact with you or they want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Find us on our website at snipfeed.co. You can also find me at uh, redone at snipfeed.co. So my 
uh, name is R-E-D-O-U-A-N-E. Feel free to email me if you have a concept, if you're a creator and you're thinking about monetizing, I'm, I'd be very happy to help you. We also have a team here of account managers who work a little bit like an agency. So we try, you know, to really give you some advice that can help you grow and help you uh, monetize the right way. And you can also find us on social media, on Instagram, uh, at Snipfeed, same thing on Twitter and LinkedIn. So we'll be very happy to help any creator uh, out there to uh, build a business on Snipfeed. Yep. Thank you, everyone. Everyone. In closing, I'll say you're a rock star and we enjoy talking to you. This was super valuable. So your time is much appreciated. Thank you for taking the time out to spend with us. Yes, thank you, thank really you so much. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. If you like what you heard and are interested in more, visit us online at brainedbehind.ai and sign up for my monthly AI startup tracker. That's where I cut through the noise and bring you AI startups that are making tangible progress. Till next time, go out, be the brains behind AI.